I'm Alex Akavon, and you're listening to May It Please the Court. You go to a case like the Lochner case, you can read that opinion today, and it's quite clear that they're not interpreting the law. They're making the law. The judgment is right there. That's right there in the opinion. You can look at that and see that they are substituting their judgment on a policy matter for what the legislature had said. Where we left our story about the due process clause of the 14th Amendment, Justice Rufus Peckham had set a new precedent in constitutional law. The Supreme Court had struck down a Louisiana statute because it infringed on a liberty to contract. Justice Peckham believed that there is a constitutional right that protects businesses from government regulation. The idea of using the Due Process Clause substantively had won its first battle. But to really have the broadest effect possible, Justice Peckham needed a situation where he could use the same reasoning to strike down even the most basic interference with business activity. And it was against this backdrop that the case of Lochner versus New York was decided. The person you heard at the beginning is John Roberts, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court in 2018. It's a clip from his confirmation hearing back in 2005, when he vehemently criticizes the decision in the Lochner case. He says it wasn't about justices interpreting the law, it was justices making the law. What an outrage! So, who was Lochner, and why was he fighting with the state of New York? And why is the Chief Justice still talking about this case a century later? Now, it sounds like this Lochner guy might have been some sort of important political figure, or else a criminal mastermind. But he wasn't. Joseph Lochner was a baker who lived in New York City in the year 1901. But one fateful day, this baker would be arrested for violating the New York Bake Shop Act. And his arrest would change the course of constitutional history forever. This was the battle between progressives and those who believed that the Constitution protected the liberties that the court does protect in Lochner. Uh, New York statute was inconsistent with the uh, 14th Amendment. The right to make a contract is part of your due process. Someone can't deprive you of determining how long your working hours are without due process. Lochner versus New York. The case of Lochner versus New York. Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the court. At the turn of the 20th century, as American society was getting used to the idea of automobiles and rail travel, as the first skyscrapers in New York were starting to be built, the baking industry was going through a lot of changes. Americans had historically baked their own bread at home, but gradually, they decided it would save a lot of time just to buy it ready-made. 
So many entrepreneurs, including many new immigrants to the United States, like Joseph Rockner, took their shot at the American dream by opening up bakeries. But that meant that a lot of people were opening up bakeries. So in New York, the market got really saturated. And that meant that a lot of bakery owners had to find new ways to save money. Now, one popular way to save on rent was for the bakeries to operate out of residential buildings called tenement houses. So often you would find these large ovens cramped into these small spaces that were really meant for living in, not so much for commercial use. These tiny common areas didn't have proper ventilation, so that meant that bakery employees would be constantly breathing in smoke while working in hot, enclosed spaces all day long. On top of that, bakery owners would often make the employees live in the tenement housing and then deduct the rent from their pay. So the life of a New York baker at the time was pretty brutal. And as if the conditions weren't bad enough, bakery employees also worked extremely long hours, sometimes up to 16 hours a day, seven days a week. If you heard this was happening today, you'd probably ask how? Aren't there laws against this type of thing? Well, now there are, but there weren't back then. So that's why in 1897, the New York State Legislature decided it was time to pass such a law. They set sanitation standards, established rules against making workers sleep in the bake room, and most critically, they started to regulate a baker's hours. The law explicitly forbid any bakery owner from employing someone for more than 10 hours a day, 6 days a week, for a maximum of 60 hours a week. That law became known as the New York Bake Shop Act. And it was precisely that law that Joseph Lochner had violated when he employed someone longer than 60 hours in a week. This violation led to his arrest. Now, from Lochner's perspective, this was all really unfair. The only thing he was guilty of was letting someone work for him for over 60 hours a week. Was it that much of a crime to let employees work long hours? Remember that this was over a hundred years ago, when the concept of labor law wasn't nearly as developed as it is today. And so at his trial, Lochner generally objected to the law itself. He said the government shouldn't be able to tell him or his employees how long they are allowed to work. But despite these protests, Lochner was sentenced to a $50 fine or 50 days in the penitentiary. So, he appealed his case to the New York Court of Appeals, and later to the U.S. Supreme Court, right into the hands of Justice Rufus Peckham. Lochner challenged the constitutionality of the New York Bake Shop Act, thereby creating the infamous case of Lochner versus New York. Oral arguments were scheduled for February 22, 1905. Lochner was represented by Henry Weissman, who ironically had been the former head of the Baker's Union. In fact, Weissman had originally lobbied the New York Congress to pass the Bake Shop Act in the first place. But once he was no longer part of that union, he had a change of heart and now was arguing for the Supreme Court to strike the law down. 
And knowing that Rufus Peckham had used the 14th Amendment a few years earlier when striking down the Louisiana law, Weissman's argument really came down to two central points. One, that the Bake Shop Act had deprived Joseph Lochner of a fundamental liberty. And two, that the state did not have a good enough reason to deprive him of that liberty. In other words, the liberty was deprived without the due process of law. As for the first point, Lochner's legal team took the liberty-to-contract idea and ran with it. They argued that each person should have the freedom to decide for themselves how long they are willing to work and for how much. If they wanted to work 100 hours a week for 10 cents an hour, it was their freedom to do so. In other words, they argued that the New York Bake Shop Act infringed on a liberty to contract that Rufus Peckham had only just recognized a few years earlier. Second, they argued that the government went too far when regulating a worker's hours. Sanitation standards were one thing, fine. But telling someone they can't work for too long is quite another. Weissman even argued that despite the tough work conditions, at least bakers weren't exactly dropping dead. The truth, though, was that a lot of bakers did die, partly as a result of their working conditions. But Weissman's point was that baking is not an inherently dangerous industry, as opposed to, say, coal mining, where government regulation might make a little more sense. Together, these arguments stood for the bold proposition that the Supreme Court has the right to overturn any state law that interferes with business activity, on the grounds that such laws violate the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. It was the opportunity Justice Peckham needed to expand upon his liberty-to-contract idea. He was certain to vote in Lochner's favor, but what was less clear was whether Peckham's opinion would be the official court opinion. It would not be as easy to get a majority this time. Since Peckham had first recognized a liberty to contract, a new justice had joined the court. A man by the name of Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. Now that name is famous in the law world, partly because Justice Holmes is revered by modern conservative and liberal justices alike, Partly because he was the oldest justice to ever serve on the court, he did so until he was over 90 years old, and partly because of his epic walrus mustache. President Teddy Roosevelt, who had taken office after the assassination of President McKinley, had chosen Holmes as his first court nominee. And only two years into his tenure, Justice Holmes was ready to take on Rufus Peckham's judicial philosophy. Holmes objected to the idea of interfering with state laws simply because the justices disagree with those laws. Holmes famously believed that law was about experience. There was no mathematical formula as to what laws are correct or incorrect. So Holmes' position was that even if he personally disagreed with the New York Bake Shop Act regulating a baker's hours, it was not up to him to tell New York that the law is invalid. Justice Peckham, of course, saw things another way. He still found that an individual's liberty to contract was a fundamental right. Lochner was free to contract with anyone he wished to, including an employee willing to work extra hours. 
By depriving him of that freedom without adequate justification, the New York legislature had violated the Due Process Clause. Justice Peckham wasn't going to let this new junior justice get in the way of business autonomy. After all, Peckham had an intimidatingly epic mustache too, and he could still persuade the other pro-business justices on the bench to expand the scope of due process even further. So Lochner versus New York, in many ways, came down to Holmes versus Peckham. Would substantive due process grow now into an official legal doctrine? Or would Justice Holmes nip it in the bud? On April 17, 1905, the Supreme Court made its decision. The final vote was 5-4. to four. By the narrowest of margins, the fate of Joseph Lochner and all of America was decided. The court ruled in favor of Joseph Lochner. The baker had won. Business interests had won. Justice Peckham had won. You're listening to May It Please the Court. Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes had put up a good fight, but Peckham emerged victorious which meant that Lochner's conviction was overturned and the New York Bake Shop Act invalidated as violating the Constitution of the United States. Peckham's victory gave him the pen that was used to write the majority opinion in the case of Lochner v. New York. Here is a professional reading of an excerpt from Peckham's opinion. The general right to make a contract in relation to his business is part of the liberty of the individual, protected by the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. Under that provision, no state can deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. This was it. The deciding case that business lawyers had been waiting for. The Lochner case officially adopted substantive due process reasoning to declare that the government may not infringe on fundamental economic rights. Defeated, there was only one thing left for Oliver Wendell Holmes to do. He also had to put pen to paper, but it would be for a dissenting opinion. And so Holmes poured out his thoughts on the issue of substantive due process. He called out justices who are imposing their own personal economic views on the whole country. Peckham and his colleagues personally believe that the government should stay out of business activity, so they broadly read the Constitution as giving them the power to make that call. Holmes did not agree. Let experience be the guide. If New York passes a law that we don't like, it's New York's business. Here is a reading of what Justice Holmes had to say. A constitution is not intended to embody a particular economic theory. It is made for people of fundamentally differing views. 
and the accident of our finding certain opinions natural and familiar or novel and even shocking ought not to conclude our judgment upon the question whether statutes embodying them conflict with the Constitution of the United States. But the bright side for Justice Holmes was that he wasn't alone. Three other justices joined him in dissenting, and one of them even wrote his own opinion. That fellow dissenter was John Marshall Harlan, the most senior justice on the court at the time. He had been selected by Republican President Rutherford Hayes back in the late 1870s, and he did not subscribe to this broad interpretation of the 14th Amendment. Justice Harlan's concern was that Peckham had enlarged the scope of the 14th Amendment far beyond its original purpose, and that now the court had to supervise matters that have always been left up to state legislatures. But despite their objections, the court had made its ruling. A ruling that would eventually be mentioned in many modern legal scholars' top five worst Supreme Court decisions. It would not be the last time Justice Holmes would find himself in dissent. And for the veteran Justice Harlan, it was certainly not the first. Harlan's most famous dissenting opinion had involved the Equal Protection Clause when he was the only justice, years before Holmes joined, to argue against segregation in the South. At some point, Holmes and Harlan would each be referred to as the great dissenter of the Supreme Court. But it would be Holmes' words that 110 years later, Chief Justice Roberts would use to argue against a constitutional right to same-sex marriage. But a lot happened during that time. As for the early 1900s, Justice Peckham had succeeded in establishing that any state law that deprived citizens of a liberty to contract violated the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. This philosophy had started with striking down a law that regulated a baker's hours. But over the next few decades, it would do much, much more. A broad precedent like Lochner meant that any form of regulating business activity was unconstitutional. To say otherwise would be tantamount to overturning a Supreme Court precedent, something the justices generally tried to avoid. And so the Lochner era began. For the next 30 years, the Supreme Court would strike down any federal or state law that regulated businesses. Laws that regulated workers' hours, laws to stop employers from prohibiting labor unions, and laws regulating wages were all struck down as unconstitutional, citing the Lochner case as precedent. Now, for perspective, Today, we argue what the minimum wage should be. Before that, we argued whether we should have a minimum wage. But at the start of the 20th century, we were asking if we were even allowed to have a minimum wage. The answer was no, according to the Supreme Court of the Lochner era. Now, if you're a modern-day liberal, you might be having a heart attack at the idea of this much business autonomy. But this broad interpretation of the Due Process Clause did, on occasion, protect personal liberties that we still consider important today, even though we don't talk about them much. For example, in 1925, 
Substantive due process reasoning was used to protect educational freedom. The court struck down a law in Oregon that forced all children to attend public school. And the court used the due process clause in its reasoning. That particular decision was unanimous, and even Justice Holmes voted for it. So Holmes' thoughts on personal liberties aren't quite as clear as his opposition to the liberty-to-contract doctrine. And as for that opposition, Justice Holmes never gave up. Whenever the court did strike down a state law using Lochner as precedent, Holmes wrote a dissenting opinion, and did so over and over again. As the years went by and justices retired one by one, they were often replaced by more business-minded lawyers, and Holmes found himself with less and less support each time a substantive due process case came up. But he kept on writing, hoping that one day he could convince enough justices that Lochner was wrongly decided. But he never did. Despite living to be the eldest justice to ever serve on the court, Holmes never managed to get Lochner overturned. His 30-year tenure on the court pretty much entirely overlapped with the period in history remembered as the Lochner era. For three decades, the Supreme Court stopped any regulation of business activity. The nine justices of the court effectively dictated American domestic economic policy from the turn of the 20th century until the 1930s. So when did it all change? And why? How did we go from zero business regulation to the world we live in today? Well, as you might recall... This no-regulation attitude was also quite prevalent outside of constitutional law. While the justices of the Supreme Court helped maintain business autonomy from a legal standpoint, bankers and stockbrokers were enjoying a time of extravagance. And with hindsight being 2020, historians can now see that despite the illusion of never-ending wealth and prosperity, the nation's economy was on the brink of collapse. One October day in 1929 would bring the free market mindset of early 20th century America to a screeching halt. The stock market crash triggered a sequence of events that would spiral the United States and the world into a Great Depression. The effects of that depression were so consequential that they changed the entire country's thoughts on government regulation. So when a man named Franklin Delano Roosevelt entered the 1932 presidential election, he ran on a platform which proposed a lot of significant changes to the economy. These reforms would entail a great deal of government involvement in private business, but it proved to be very popular with a changing American culture. This radical shift in national sentiment was exactly what Justice Holmes needed to finally get the support required to reverse the liberty-to-contract doctrine. But as the nation was coming to terms with its new reality, Justice Holmes was turning 91, and it was time to retire. When he left the bench, Lochner was still the law of the land. It would be up to the justices he left behind to determine its future. But the Supreme Court of the 1930s would prove to be one of the most consequential and most divided courts in history. 
and while the justices quarreled with one another over the meaning of due process, they would soon be clashing with a president that had the support of a nation and ideas that would drastically change the role of government in a new society. discuss how the Lochner era came to its dramatic end in episode 3. May It Please the Court is produced by Untwist the Facts. Visit our website at www.untwistthefacts.com or follow us on social media at Untwist the Facts. I'm Alex Akavon and thanks so much for listening. <laughs>